Listen, man, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to just do me a favor and run on over to savewithconrad.com. Get yourself a quick quote. My man, Andy M just left us a five-star review over at conradreviews.com. And he had this to say, the effort and communication from Josh was above and beyond. We ran into several unexpected hiccups along the way, but Josh kept us informed and kept looking for options to get things done. In the end, we were still able to refinance to a 15 year loan, where we're going to be able to pay it off in 10. And we took enough cash out to pay off our credit cards, my truck loan, and even buy my wife, her very first new vehicle. We're going to save over $500 a month from what we would have been paying without the refinance. We can't thank everyone enough. Now guys, that right there is a win, win, win situation. Let me explain over the last couple of years, your house is probably worth more than ever. Now, what you do with that equity is up to you. And what I'm going to recommend is we do what our man Andy did. Andy took himself from a 30 year loan down to 15 years, but he's planning to pay it off in 10. Now, how can he afford to do that? We got rid of all his credit card debt. Just like that. We got rid of his truck loan and we even got him enough cash to get his wife a new vehicle. The result, cheaper monthly payments. How does that happen? How do you get a new car, pay off a truck and get rid of your credit cards and cut years off your loan? You go to savewithconrad.com. We're going to get you cheaper monthly payments. And how's this for starters? No house payments for the next two months. That's right. You can skip your next two payments. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And buddy, if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And here's the best part. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. I don't care if you relate here or there. Maybe you had a bankruptcy back in the day. Maybe you relate on a credit card. We're going to help you figure out how to get in the situation that your family needs now and long-term. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life at savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little bit about adfreeshows.com. People often ask me, what exactly is adfreeshows all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Not only do you get early ad-free access to all of my podcasts starting at just $9, but you also get many of your other favorite wrestling podcasts like Click This with Kevin Nash, Gentleman Villain with William Regal, Oh You Didn't Know with Brian James, and others. But yeah, still just $9 a month. That's 14 podcasts in total every single week, early with no ads. That's like 20 cents an episode. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple Podcasts or through your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Want some more cheese on that Whopper? Adfreeshows.com has literally tens of thousands of hours worth of bonus content, including fantastically popular series like Eric Fires Back, Idle Chase, and Strictly Business. And I don't know why this is a thing, but there's even more than 40 Ask Conrad episodes waiting for you at adfreeshows.com. We've got monthly Zoom chats with all the podcast hosts, live watch-alongs with wrestling legends, and more. Come on now. See for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans have already discovered. That's adfreeshows.com. It's the best value in wrestling today. Check it out right now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. Say something about I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck you. Fuck you, Bruce. I love Salad. Double 
machine. God damn, kid. God damn it. What the hell show you got there? I need more. Ooh, yeah. What say you? Pronouns, pal. And now, something to wrestle with. Con Bruce Pritchard. He the second most recognizable athlete in the entire world today. Conrad Olsen. What happened when? Huh. What would Vince say about that? Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Where do your mama yeah. and fine self and your daddy and, and all that. else? I'm excited to be on the phone with you. It's been a while since you and I got to catch up and, uh, we're I know. Gonna... where you been dog. Oh, fuck you. Come on now. That's not cool. Where you at dog? Where you at? Yeah. It's me. Where who's been at, hard dog? to pin where down. It's me. It's me. Well, we're where excited at, to be dog? back where with you, you. No matter how long it's been. Every I'm time over we here and the beepers in the. Uh, my homies is sell black six. Are you doing a kid rock thing out there? Yeah. Okay. Where you at dog? Where you at? And they said, where you at rock? Where you at? But I was just saying dog. Cause it's you. Cause your name ain't rock. You know what I'm saying? All right, then, uh, today's where episode, dog? Where you at? we're talking about one. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Bruce. He'll, You're he'll we're going to shake him and he'll be back to normal in a minute. It's like a etch a sketch folks. You, you just hang tight. If you don't like what you see, just shake it and it'll start over. Uh, one night only 1997 happened as you and I are recording this. We happen to be recording on Tuesday, September 20th. Well, can I, can I, I got to make a comment about that. Okay. You know, yesterday was, uh, on September 19th. Uh, it was a Monday. Oh, Jesus, man. Was a Monday night the, raw. The significance of that day. Uh, yeah, it was a hell of a Monday night raw. There was a QR code that blew the it internet up. It was Gerald Briscoe's birthday. Oh. Boy, Gerald Briscoe's birthday. Seventy-six years old and doesn't look a day over ninety-two. Are you gonna sing for him? He likes it. I did. I, I when he answered the phone, I said, da, 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 "They said it's your birthday." Da, 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 da. Happy birthday to you. Da, 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 da. They said it's your birthday. Da, 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 da. Happy birthday to you. 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 And he said my singing was much better. He said he really enjoyed my singing. Well, he's a, he's known to lie, you know, every now and again because it was it was not. It's not what I would call good, but we heard it. So, Great. you know, it's the effort Exemplary. that counts. It's the thought that counts one of those, but, uh, I would say maybe don't quit your day job. Maybe I have a day job. Well, I'm surprised you have time for it because as you and I are recording, it is smack dab in the middle of the day, but I won't tell if you won't, uh, one night only 2000 or I'm sorry, 1997 happened 25 years ago. I believe this was the first ever UK exclusive pay-per-view event from Birmingham, England. One night only. I can't wait to talk about it. Of course, the most recent time back in those days, they had a big mega UK event with SummerSlam 92 and it left such an impression. Now it wasn't a UK only pay-per-view. We could get it across the rest of the world, but 
SummerSlam 92 still is a show that people are talking about 30 years later. And, uh, not too long ago, you guys had a big show over in Wales and we don't talk about current stuff, but another stadium show and high marks all around, but one night only was only the sixth event ever shown on traditional pay-per-view in the UK on sky box office of any kind. The first five were all boxing events. The first being the very second Frank Bruno, Mike Tyson fight, which happened on March night, March 16th, 1996. All the regular monthly WWF pay-per-views, you might be wondering, they're shown on the regular Sky Sports channel as a part of a consumer's monthly Sky TV subscription and still would be through the early 2000s. So the WWF had done five live television specials in the UK, airing on Sky TV from 89 to 93, plus, of course, that now famous SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium. But the company was always a hot property for Sky. Once they got running, you know, in 1989, it was one of the highest rated shows from then on. And of course, SummerSlam 92 is probably the peak. Why do you think SummerSlam 92 resonates so well across the pond? Is it just because it was their homegrown guy, Davy boy in the main event, or is there something else? I think it was the first, I think it was, you know, the first mega event that rivaled WrestleMania that was being held internationally and that the folks in the United Kingdom looked at that as, wow, you know, the, the, we're getting a mega event in the UK that's going to go all over the world live and in living color. So that was, I think that that was why it was so special. It was the first. And it was special. Um, was getting an actual pay-per-view in the UK a priority? Was it something you had been working on for a while? I mean, I have to admit, as somebody who lived in, as you call it, Abilama, I never really even considered the idea that none of those shows were on pay-per-view. But this being the first ever WWF pay-per-view of sorts offered in the UK had to be pretty special. And it happens in 1997. September of 97, the very month where Vince would meet with Brett and say, Hey, I can't honor your contract. It's around the same time that we're going to sunset the idea of the cheaper two hour in your house. And we're going to go with the, the first three hour and full price in your house. That was ground zero 1997 September. In fact, so there's a lot of stuff happening here in the same month. So it has to feel like, Hey man, this could be to use a business term an emerging market for us, pal. Goddamn sell pay-per-view to a new set of folks. Well, it was, it was the fact that the UK finally had a delivery system for pay-per-view. Uh, they didn't, it didn't exist. They didn't have a viewer's choice or any other pay-per-view capabilities in the UK at home. So you had subscription models, like just like we do here with basic cable, and then you can get another tier of cable where you get more channels and you get access to more things and specials and what have you. Um, the pay-per-view was still in its infancy in the UK, and they had done some boxing matches and experimented. Uh, not all of them, the first ones, they, they all didn't go well. Um, so we let them get the kinks out of their system and then decided, you know, hey, let's, let's go do it. Um, and to kick it off, I think a big part of that was to be able to do a live event from the United Kingdom. Um, 
you know, this wasn't just for this one show and, and pay-per-view. This was for this one show in every subsequent pay-per-view event that we had to now be presented as a pay-per-view event in the UK versus a special on Sky TV. The winds of change are here. Everybody knows there's been a management shuffle, uh, not only in the WWE, but boy, there's even been a name shuffle out there. Have you heard about this? Sleep me is the new home for chili sleep. Still bringing you the same great sleep that chili sleep offered, but under a new name, sleep me makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core body temperatures, promoting deeper, more restorative sleep. Chili sleep makes the Uller cube and doc pro sleep systems. Either way, we're talking water-based temperature controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. These mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. I also want to mention they just launched the brand new Doc Pro Sleep System. It has two times, two times more cold power than all the other models. It's whisper quiet. And it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times, five times, five times, five times, five times more cooling contact. Pair it with the new sleep.me app for enhanced device control and sleep scheduling. That's right. You can automate this too. You can have your bed cool when you get in. You can have it warm when you get in. You can warm up to wake up. It's amazing. I can't do without my chilly sleep. I absolutely love it. I encourage you to try it, especially now that it's sleep me. Head over to sleep.me forward slash wrestle to learn more and save 20% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Cube, or Uller sleep system. Now, this offer is available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S L E E P dot M E slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Sleep.me forward slash wrestle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. The show was really almost barely promoted in the United States. I mean, that's understandable because we don't want to have mixed messaging. We're right between pay-per-views in your house. Ground zero was on September 7th. Bad blood was on October 5th. So the UK promotion for one night only is mostly relegated to commercials and video packages and UK specific promos. And here's some news and notes as we head to this big show. Melson would write this on October 15th with the return to a largely head to head situation on September 8th, the raw versus nitro feud set a new record margin of victory with nitro, almost doubling the audience of raw nitro under 4.27 rating. It's second best rating ever in a head to head situation. Meanwhile, raw did a 2.15, the nitro replay did a 1.90 with the first hour doing a 2.80. So the first hour of nitro actually beat raw in either hour. And Meltzer would say a large margin of victory was expected given the momentum nitro has coming off of its two largest audiences in history. 
combined with the historical fact that it takes raw two or three weeks every year to regain its audience from the U S open preemptions. Nevertheless, this large margin was staggering and the actual head to head period nitro beat raw 4.26 to 2.12. So it actually slightly more than doubled the audience for the first time ever since they've been going head to head. So let's take a timeout right there. Listen, it's unfortunate that the, the television contract meant, Hey, I'm off the air for tennis. It is what it is. We live to fight another day as we say. But when you see that, damn, they more than doubled us, is this disheartening or is it just another day at the office? And you know, shit, man, it is what it is. They're not fucking human. If it does, if you don't take it and look at it as (laughs) this hurts, yeah, it hurts. Absolutely. It hurts. Um, and in the same, same token, it is another day at the office. So you you get knocked down, you get back up, and you keep going, you keep moving. Um, you know, one day I think uh, Eric Bischoff and I will will get together and and go through the the numbers in in a different way, and and you know talk about how everybody reported those numbers and what they actually really were, and just through the years, you know, you learn the different things and. I would just love to have, I would love to have someone, this is going to sound crazy. I would love to have someone from Nielsen that would actually tell the truth and how some of those numbers are compiled. Cause it's really crazy and I, it's not an exact system. I don't give a shit how you compile it or anything else. It kicked our ass and yeah, it was devastating, but you, you know, you have to rebuild. You just have to rebuild when you're off the air for two weeks <clears throat> People have to go looking for you. Meltzer would say in an effort to build up stronger relations with the media, particularly in Japan, Titan has opened up ringside at all of its events to magazine photographers after a band dating back to 1984, when McMahon's goal was to take wrestling completely over, including controlling every aspect of the business. The WWF is looking at getting a strong relationship with the Japanese media since it wants to run a Tokyo dome show in the next year or two. And of course we know we never actually run a Tokyo dome show, but was that ever a goal of Vince's or is this just rumor and innuendo? No, Dave is taking something that we opened up the ringside area to outside media. And that included, you know, the actors and Napolitanos of the world to be able to shoot ringside where previously they had a spot on the hard camera platform where they could shoot from. They weren't, they didn't have access to ringside. So it was to everyone. And actually I would say for the Japanese media, we, you know, you have to limit it too. So it was the guys that you knew, the photographers that you had relationships with that knew how to, you know, we had to train them how to get, get out of the way of cameras and the whole nine yards. Um, but it was an effort overall just to get as much exposure as we possibly could everywhere, not just Japan. Well, clearly it's going to work. I mean, you know, those magazines as a wrestling fan, getting a Japanese wrestling magazine was just fucking cool. And that's something that a lot of our listeners today who are maybe younger, they wouldn't even recognize that that was a cool thing to do, but 
talk to us, you know, from your perspective, why was a Japanese wrestling magazine so cool to get? Because I'm sure you had a few in your day. Well, they were only cool to get for me when, uh, I was in them. So All right. I, I don't know. I mean, they, they, I, uh, it, 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 it maybe showed just how large this wrestling universe could be. And, and the, the approach was totally different. You know, the aftermax traditionally were more black and white with a handful of color photos right in the center. The Japanese wrestling magazines though, man, they were just cover to cover color. It was a totally different approach. And I think, you no, know, they weren't, they were only color in the first half. Okay. Not even the first half, maybe the first quarter. And then the rest of it was newsprint black and white. I, I didn't think you really gave a shit about them. So I'm glad to hear you. No, out. I'm just telling you that that's incorrect. Well, I'm just glad you're participating in the show. Thank you. I always participate in the goddamn show. Really? The last two weeks you participated. What did we yeah, talk about? I did. Yeah. You motherfucker. Um, Sean <laughs> Michaels and brackets are sent to England and Germany for a promotional tour. And, uh, unfortunately due to the, uh, princess Diana death on August 31st, they canceled the England portion because it probably would have gotten no coverage at all. It is kind of fun to think about Sean Michaels. You know, obviously he's what, an what inch- a sad thing to think of, you know what I mean? That 25 years later and they just lost the queen mother too. When we're talking about this 25 years later, and I didn't realize that, that, you know, it was 25 years, uh, we lost princess Diana, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of sad. Don't you think candle in the wind, daddy. Talk to me a little bit about Sean Michaels here. I mean, it's just a couple of months ago. The dude's trying to quit the company. It's an unsafe working environment. Now we're sending him on press tours a couple months later. Somebody had to go that wasn't booking live events. So talk to me about how Brackus star, I mean, and, and Sean was available. So let's get him out there. How does Brackus get the nod? Cause he's European kingdom United. Cause he's because he was German and he was available European yeah. and available too. Don't forget that. Uh, and Brockus, you know, I mean, Brockus also, when you look at that airport test, man, people are going to stop and stare. He's a big boy. All right. Listen up. Y'all reserve bar is the online source for premium and luxury spirits, wine and champagne. Visit reservebar.com to create the perfect home bar or have the ideal gift delivered. It's also where you'll find the best in new and hard to find bottles and those celebrity spirits you've been wanting to try. And Hey, y'all take it from me. No one does spirits gifting better than reserve bar. You can have a bottle custom engraved with a name or a date or a logo to create really the perfect gift. Build your dream home bar at reserve bar. Just select the spirits, the wine and the bubbly that you love. And they've even got your glassware and your mixing tools, everything you need. They got you covered at reserve bar. Reserve bar also has the cocktail lounge, your online source for inspiring new cocktail recipes and the cool stories behind your favorite brands. Ready to drink cocktails taste better than ever. And reserve bar now has them too. The pre-mixed drinks are great to have on hand for outdoor events. And listen up, man, the hot trend in spirits really are these ready to drink cocktails. Have you tried one yet? Well, they taste better than ever. And Reserve Bar has a huge collection of them. These canned cocktails are great for parties when you don't have time to tend the bar or they're ideal for tailgating season. Roll Tide. 
Uh, that's here by the way. And, uh, we're all enjoying it. So around the pool on the go at a tailgate, whatever it is, man, I, I can't recommend it enough. I think about if you're going to the beach, you're going to the lake, you're going to be on the boat or whatever it might be, right? If you're going to be out and about enjoying some alcohol responsibly, of course, man, the canned cocktail, that's the way to go. Ready to drink, baby. Visit reservebar.com today and use promo code wrestle to save $10 off your purchase of $75 or more on spirits, wine, or pre-made cocktails, but only when you use our special offer at reservebar.com with the code wrestle. That's reservebar.com and the code is wrestle. This offer expires December 31st, 2022. So you got plenty of time, but hurry order right now. And uh, I think you'll like it so well, you're going to be reordering in time to give some pretty awesome gifts later this year. Reservebar.com. The promo code is wrestle. You're going to get 10 bucks off y'all reservebar.com. Use that promo code wrestle. Hook it up. You'll be glad you did. That's word, right? JR and uh, Vince McMahon met with people interested in promoting tours in India and South Africa. We know in the last, I don't know, decade or so, India has become a big priority. I know in that era, South Africa did get a handful of shows, but when did India really jump on the map? As far as you're concerned with, Hey man, maybe this should be somewhere we're spending a little more time exploring. That's God damn. When you, you look at India and China and you look at the concentration of the population there, the concentration of people in those two regions is unreal so they've always been on the radar the trick with india is it is also a very poor country so to be able to bring your product there it's there's only a few people that can afford it there isn't a big infrastructure where there are buildings that are modern buildings that have the power and have everything else that would be necessary to produce that type of a show and it's um but it's also an attractive market because it's it's an emerging growing market you know especially now with cell phones everybody in india has a cell phone that's how they they don't have tvs they have a phone that's how they get all their media that's how they get everything so at the time it was just looking to the future and if you get a foothold in india that's a that's a pretty good deal Melzer would also write. There's also talk of programming the interrogator, AKA Kurgan with the undertaker. Did you guys decide not to do that because you personally didn't want Mr. Calloway to kick your ass for more ribs? Dude. First of all, I love Kurgan. Great guy. Robert Malay. Um, man, one of the, <laughs> I would put Robert up there with one of the people that was probably too nice for this business because he is genuinely just such a kind soul and um, really, really good guy. But I don't think that Kurgan was, uh, at least in our tenure, I don't think there was ever a time that Kurgan was up to snuff to be considered for Taker. It's hard to imagine that being a good match. Hard to imagine. Uh, I'm going to butcher this name. Matt Gafari, the Olympic Perfect. silver medalist was given a look-see over the past week. Meltzer would say he hasn't signed, but we're told it's a good bet that he will. Kane's debut originally set for the September 7th pay-per-view has now been moved back to October 5th. 
Of course, he spelled Kane C-A-I-N. We know it's going to be K-A-N-E. He's going to debut at Bad Blood. But talk to me about Matt. Give it a look-see, but hasn't signed. Goddamn, boy. He's an Olympic gold silver medalist. He's he's an Olympian. He's an amateur. Got credentials. Everybody knows him. Well, not really. Uh, (laughs) They didn't really know. I... Look, Matt, I remember meeting Matt uh, and never really said much more than hello to him. How you doing? So I can't tell you much about Matt is uh, a human being or anything else, his desire to be in this business. I just didn't think that after seeing him and, and listening to some of the things that he and his people allegedly said that he had no desire to be in this business at all, that he had no appreciation for it and just really um, wasn't something he wanted to do. So when you, especially in that day and age, if somebody doesn't want to, doesn't want to do it. How do you land on that? How do you land on? He doesn't want to do it. Did he say, I don't want to do it. Yeah, I think it was along the lines of that it was kind of beneath him and that, you know, if this is his last resort and oh, things wow. of that nature. I got but again, I never heard those things. That was, you know, that's a lot of rumor and innuendo, but that was what I based my opinion on. And it never got further than a look. You know what I mean? So that right there tells you that uh, he wasn't really interested. Instead, he decided to do an MMA fight, uh, over in Japan in 2002, took him 56 seconds to realize that probably wasn't for him. Uh, but he did eventually try his hand at professional wrestling. Um, he's going to do some stuff with, uh, pro wrestling zero one over in Japan and hustle. And he tried a few things, but boy, what could have been in the WWF? He probably regrets maybe not taking that a little more seriously. I don't think that he, I just don't, I don't think he had the personality to do it. Well, let's talk about some big personality because there's a lot of discussion coming out of some tapings on September 9th in Muncie, Indiana. And you and I recently touched on this. We're going to talk about it in long form. Now we're taping raw here and in a rare occurrence, neither Vince nor the undertaker are there. Now the undertaker is going to do a pre-taped interview on the video wall where he's going to be talking to a live in-person Shawn Michaels in the middle of the ring. Now, Shawn Michaels is not there by himself. He's being interviewed by Jim Ross and allegedly before he goes through the curtain, Shawn stuffs his shorts to make an extra big bulge. And as he goes down again, as the old adage goes, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Shawn starts jumping up and down and crotch chopping. Jim Ross and wants to make sure everybody gets a good shot of how he's stuffed his shorts. Not only that, he knows that the undertaker can't fire back because it's a taped interview. So Sean is calling him all kinds of names, chicken shit and what have you just really laying it on to where you would think, oh, the undertaker is going to come out here and choke slam him to hell, except he's not actually there. So not only does it make the undertaker look bad, but it's also pretty unprofessional. I'm sure Jim Ross was not pleased with this at all, but Vince isn't there. You were couldn't have been pleasant, but allegedly, and you've teased this before this interview is going to 
spurring a big light bulb moment for Vince. Talk us through that night. What you remember about the interview and how Vince received that information. Well, the interview was atrocious. It was a tape show. And, you know, as you said, we had Undertaker pre-taped interview where, you know, there were moments that they could respond and what have you, but it was all done in advance. And Sean coming out, you're at Gorilla. It's dark at Gorilla. Um, and I know that there's times before a match where you got you got to check your tights, make sure they're not concealing any international objects. You got to check the bottom soles of their boots, make sure they're smooth and there's no, nothing that could cut someone. You check their fingernails, Conrad. Back then, you check the fingernails, make sure that they're of a certain length. There was a regulation length that they had to be. And you, you check behind their ears, check, make sure they don't have any, any foreign substances or oil or anything like that on them. Well, contrary to popular belief, we don't do that at Gorilla. Okay. Okay. Nor do I, uh, oftentimes, I, well, not oftentimes, I can't ever remember a time that I, uh, Inspected anyone's crotchal area either. Well, I know for sure it happened on more than one occasion. I've met your kids. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. And particularly on this night, I certainly didn't. Uh, I did notice the shorts Sean was wearing, which were, uh, shorter than if he was a waitress at Hooters. Okay. Um, but as you know, as it goes, Sean, place socks or whatever the hell he placed in his crotchal area uh, to make him appear more endowed, if you will. He looked huge, Connie. Sean, you know, proceeded to do his crotch shop and get in JR's face and jump up and place his um, crotchal area in JR's face, much to Jim's chagrin, on you know, in front of a live audience, it's kind of embarrassing. Sure. But, you know, I think everyone backstage looked at that as, you know, hey, Vince isn't here. This is Sean acting out and uh, not wasn't a professional move. Just when you boil it all down, that's it. It was unprofessional. Wu Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Wu Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wu Wings, legendary flavors, world championship wings. Woo! Wu Wings. Yeah! Woo woo! And yet when Vince sees or hears of it, how was it received? Poorly. He was, he was livid. Vince was extremely livid about it and gave Sean at the time, the highest, uh, fine. He'd ever find anyone. But didn't he eventually change course or change his opinion about several? Yeah. Several weeks, maybe a month or so later. Um, he, 
was talking about Sean and he was, he was pointing to, to Sean and the, the crotch chopping and all that. And he's like, God, that's attitude. That's what we need more of attitude. And, uh, hence the attitude era was born. Isn't that let's crazy? Be, let's be edgier from this silly interview. Here it is. It really is amazing. And for old timers, for purists of the business, it went against everything that you would ever want to do and, and would say, Hey, this is what you do in a live interview. It was, it was horrible on every front, but you know, um, it is what it is. I'm getting the vibe. You didn't really like it. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. What did you hate about it specifically? It again, it was disrespectful. I thought it was childish and, and just, uh, you know, little did I know that that was just the tip of the Asperger Asperg. iceberg when it came to you childish. Know what? For the attitude, you can call it Asperg. I mean, yeah, that works. So it, uh, it just, uh, yeah, it's just, it was to me, it was bad to me. It was important in poor taste as well. Well, it's a new era. The attitude era is here. Uh, in the meantime, according to the observer, the WWF has threatened new Japan with a lawsuit over the company, having the old WWF light heavyweight title belt as part of the J crown. Since the WWF is introducing a new light heavyweight title shortly, once word got out. Apparently some other folks got in the same act and threatened new Japan over the use of the UWA belt. That's also part of the J crown and the WWF went to Japanese reports and asked if it would be better to file suit or simply to get word to new Japan of the threat and not make a public spectacle out of it to allow new Japan to simply drop the belt on its own. Talk to me about this. Like this is something that wrestling belt nerds got a huge kick out of. But they would have performers on a WCW program like Ultimo Dragon or, or, or whoever. And he's got the, the old WWF title that no one's even using as a part of his presentation. Once upon a time, that would have been a big deal, but I guess nobody in the company really gave a shit about the belt in the first place. So they didn't care. Fair to say. Cut. Hang on. I got to deal with this real quick. <laughs> You know, I think it was just more of an awareness thing. I don't know that anybody ever really thought about it or even really knew about it. And there was an old agreement that that championship was, my understanding, was something that was done for Anoki's group, but that could come over and be defended in Madison Square Garden and LA for Mike LaBelle and in different places and have the WWWF um, initials on it right. and be affiliated with it that way. But it was something that um, I think kind of struck everybody because they were, you know, they were advertising it as, you know, WWE or WWF title. So now it became a problem because it was, they were, touting an affiliation with us that did not exist. 
So Meltzer would also report, expect far more international tours as the company needs to establish new revenue streams overseas as cash flow is tight. There'll be a tour the last week of October to Abu Dhabi, and there's a tentative tour for Pakistan in November, and perhaps one more tour before the year is out. I bring this up because, and we saw this even with TNA a generation later, when the product was maybe soft here domestically, internationally, even TNA could go across the pond and do gangbuster business relative to what they were doing here in America. And that feels like the case here for this era of the WWF where, Hey, if WCW may be soundly beating you, whatever that means, uh, if, if, if overall revenues are down here, doesn't mean they're down everywhere. There's still some parts of the world that are really excited to see you and will turn out and line up and, and pay more for a ticket. Right. And there's also the, the simple fact of more international promoters willing to purchase shows so that you had a guaranteed attendance and you had someone that was participating in your expenses of your travel and your hotels and different things. So there were packages that were being sold as a whole and internationally business was very good and it was new. So that was the reason for that because it was definitely money to the bottom line. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what that would have looked like back in the day. Do you have any idea or recollection of, of the type of offers they would have brought? Like what it include, say it, it, a dollar value. And, and then from there you, you take care of your travel or is it simply we're going to pay you this amount plus your trans or how does that work? Yeah, it's, we're going to pay your expenses. Then we're going to pay you, you know, a half million dollars per event or whatever that number would be. Right. And it would, and it would really depend upon the market too, what that market would be able to contribute. So they're not going to pay you a half million dollars for a market that they're only going to draw 200 in. Right. But to be able to go without having the burden of expenses and everything else, uh, go overseas and do that and have money that is guaranteed. You have someone else that's footing the bill for advertising the whole nine yards. And you're just getting a fee. That's an attractive offer. Just as a reminder, we should mention that a lot of times, especially in this era, you know, there's house shows, you know, if you get a hundred thousand dollars, that ain't bad. So to go international and perhaps get half a hundred thousand dollars, even a fraction of what you said, but you're trans covered as well, because normally a hundred thousand dollars domestically, you're paying for the building rent. You're paying for the security. You're paying for the ticketing and all the associated fees, the insurances, et cetera, et cetera. Plus your trans and travel and the performers. So if you could just cut right through that and get a hundred grand and not have all that overhead, the company nets way more percentage wise, right? Yeah, absolutely. So on the weekend, one night only is taking place. Uh, there's three house shows running Poughkeepsie. Scranton and Liberty, New York. So two shots in Pennsylvania, one in Liberty. Now, again, remember a lot of the quote unquote, big stars, they're at the show across the pond one night only. Here's what folks got. <laughs> this is such a great lineup. Brackus versus Dr. X, who happens to be Dr. Tom Pritchard, Brian Christopher versus Scott Taylor, Mark Marrow versus the Sultan. Uh, the new blackjacks, Wyndham and Bradshaw against Los Bariquas, uh, Jesus and, and Jose gold dust versus Brian Pillman, 
skull from DOA taking on the real double J Jesse James, Ahmed Johnson versus Rocky Maivia, who's now joined the nation of domination. And your main event is crush chains and eight ball from DOA taking on Farouk comma and Delo from the nation. Hang on. Are you sure that you weren't, uh, this was an MSG Chicago and LA Poughkeepsie drew Holy cow. I mean, that's a main event anywhere in the country. We all know that world 2059 fans paying $38,948 in Poughkeepsie. Good house in Poughkeepsie. Yeah. September 20th. We drew 1,890 fans for $26,497 in Scranton. It's good for Scranton and Liberty, New York had 966 fans for $17,844. It is in fact the smallest house. And in the, that's in, a good house for Liberty too. And in, in all of 1997, that's the worst house in all of 97. Well, I'm had to be. So now let's get to the show one night only. We're finally here. The lineup has changed several times leading up to the show. Originally we were promoted as Brett versus Austin taker versus Ahmed and Owen versus Shamrock along with of course, Michaels and bulldog. But some of that changes because of injuries, either way, the show does 20,000 buys in the UK. Now I'll just want to give you a frame of reference here. This is an opportunity that is normally presented on free television. So now all of a sudden you're asking folks to pay for it. 20,000 of them do. So it would be easy to dunk on this number, but that would be to not really understand the context of they've always been free until this one. But I do at least want to mention the first five boxing pay-per-views had 720,000 buys as a peak and $348,000 at the lowest. Not lowest, not dollars, but buys. 348,000 buys. I'll get it right. The gist is the WWF is not the pay per view boom it has been here in America. But I still think a lot of that is, is based on the fact that, hey, it was positioned as being a free show forever, and now it's not. Fair to say? Absolutely. People were livid because to them, the purchase of sky and the package that they had entitled them to pay-per-view events from WWE for free. They still got our, um, SummerSlams, WrestleMania or whatever the hell they still got that for free in this time. So this was a kind of a one-off for them to test that, that pay-per-view market didn't test very well because people were, uh, eh, I'll skip this one, man. Cause I'm going to get the next one. And that's part of my package. You're used not to paying something. Then all of a sudden you say, ah, can't have it. Okay. I don't want it then. Well, it is what it is. Let's talk about the show itself. Before we do, I want to mention it aired on tape delay and select ch- and select markets like Canada on pay-per-view, but in the U S you could only see it edited down as a home video release. For example, if you got the VHS, which I did, you did not, you. you did not see the undertaker, Bret Hart match. And they tried to make the, the show feel as special as a U.S. pay-per-view. 
We've got Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Jerry, the King Lawler there to handle commentary for the event. There's a phenomenal video package on the British bulldog to start the show. And Meltzer had this to say the world wrestling federation ran its first ever pay-per-view show primarily for the British market on September 20th before a sellout crowd of 11,000 fans at the NEC arena in Birmingham, England. Our reports indicated it was a very good show with the final three matches being the highlight of the show headlined by Shawn Michaels winning the European title from Davy boy Smith in a match that Smith had dedicated to his sister, Tracy, who came out to the ring with him and is suffering from bone cancer. The basic idea for this title change, making Shawn Michaels, the first ever grand slam champion, meaning he'd won the world title, the intercontinental title, the tag team title, and now the European and company history appears to be to build up a second pay-per-view for the United kingdom, likely coming from Smith's hometown of Manchester, England sometime in the spring of 1998. So let's take a timeout right there, because I know we've been very critical of this decision, myself included, and a lot of quote unquote, smart marks. I can't believe you didn't let the bulldog win after he donated or, or not donated, but dedicated this match to his sister who was suffering with cancer. It should have been the finish, blah, blah, blah. But when you hear the context of, well, this is just to get some heat brother, and we're going to pay it off in Smith's hometown early next year. Okay. I could kind of see that, but allegedly that wasn't always the case. And there's been a lot of uh, hurt feelings over the years with some folks on the other side of the pond saying Shawn Michaels politics to make this happen. Do you remember the plan always being, we were going to get some heat and come back and pay it off. Or was that not the original plan? Well, the idea was for Sean to go over. I don't think that the, I think there was more politicking on the other side of it to get bulldog over, frankly. Oh, we're in the UK. It's our first pay-per-view there. We've got to, you know, it only makes sense. Like, you know, to you, Oh, it's in his hometown or it's in his home country. He's got to go over. He's got to win. And that logic doesn't just doesn't hold. And you're looking to get heat. You're looking to get heat on Sean and for everybody saying, Oh, I know what they're going to do. You know, it feels like a predictable thing to do. Yeah, if you're going to do boring TV and be predictable, then yeah, okay, Bulldog goes out, beat Sean, you know, whatever the song is, I can't do that. But um, And Bulldog wins the title. Okay, great. Then what? Sean's shoving that title up everybody's ass and being the first Grand Slam champion and going on to where we wanted to go with Sean. It did make all the sense in the world for Sean to do it. Now, again, sentimentally, to people who think that this isn't a business and that this is all about having people win in their hometowns, because, well, it's their hometown. Mom's here. Dad's here. My third grade teacher's here. I can't lose. Right. If your intent is to tell a story and to get some emotion out of the audience, Imagine the emotion when your baby boy is, is in the ring or, you know, and he loses. That's real emotion. And that's what we were looking for. <sighs> okay. 
Meltzer says it was the same promotional gimmick used by the WWF last year to build up the Royal Rumble pay-per-view where Shawn Michaels regained the title in his hometown of San Antonio. The fact that Michaels was given the title in the wake of the incident in Muncie, where he was swearing, calling out the undertaker who wasn't there running around in biker shorts after stuffing his crotch makes one wonder just how much Vince McMahon really didn't know about the incident beforehand. Throwing all that out from a pure business perspective, this is a viable tried and true wrestling angle with a heartbreaking loss by the top baby face in that market to set up a return. If the Michaels deal wasn't an angle, which is something I'd be skeptical of at this point, then the WWF is flat out stupid to put a belt on Michaels in the state he's in, not to mention his track record of how many times he's coming up with excuses and reasons for never dropping back the belts he's given. So a lot to unpack there. Let's take it piece by piece. Let's start at the end. Did you feel like Shawn Michaels at times would come up with excuses or reasons not to drop titles back? Or is that just something the internet wrote about? I think that there are times that we've talked about losing his smile where Shawn didn't drop the title that was suspect at best. And, um, then there were other times, you know, you, Getting the hell beat out of him by the Marines. Sean didn't want to drop that title. Sean didn't want to uh, not have that match. Come on. That's just stupid. That, that's people reading into shit. And that's, that's dirt sheet crap. As far as this, you know, Sean's antics, um, Sean was punished. Sean was fined heavily. Um, for a story, for what's the best thing for business in that moment in time, best thing for business in that moment in time is for Sean to win that title. That was the best thing for business. And, you know, for someone who's never run a business or had, you know, their ass on the line for that, well, well, this is what you should have done. And this is blah, 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 blah. Come on, man. It's like, me telling the the guy at the Italian restaurant, you know, how many waitresses he should have, which, by the way, they don't have enough. Um, it's just silly. Fascinating. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, in your opinion, and we've talked about how Sean at times was difficult to deal with in 97, just stripping all of the, the booking of this show Aside, so set it aside for a moment, whether or not it was logical or whatever, from a business perspective, would you have made the call to put the belt on Sean, given the recent issues you'd had with him? Yep. Okay. Cause I, I supported it 100%. Yes. Meltzer would say and one of the ones that came up with it. Cause it was yes. Cause everybody like you, everybody's saying, oh, they're going to put the title on bulldog. They're going to do this. It's like, eh, that's boring. That's what everybody thinks we're going to do because we're in the UK, of course. Uh, that's what you're that's what you're supposed to do because you read uh, the dirt sheet that says this is what they're going to do. No, it's not because it was a good business. Here's the write-up here from Meltzer for the WWF in England. The first pay-per-view show was expected to do well based on the novelty of it being the first non-boxing event ever on pay-per-view in that country but it becomes less and less of a novelty with each successive show rather than quote unquote waste, having your largest expected audience with a blow off. 
You use your largest audience to do a major angle to try and keep it for the next show. But it doesn't appear that this title change was planned more than a week in advance, unless communication within the company is broken down. Because on Raw, two days after the switch, there were localized promos all over the country running for matches in October, talking about the Bulldogs matches as if they were being for the European title. So I love the idea that Meltzer's on board with, all right, you use this to build to the next one, as opposed to, as you said, and then what? But it does feel like the fact if, if you guys produced promos that aired advertising bulldog and European title matches, that maybe this was a last minute call. When did it change? So he's saying that we advertised bulldog European champion before we even had the match. No, he's saying after raw, like after the show on raw, you guys had localized promos tickets on sale. Now don't miss the British bulldog defending his new European championship. And then of course he never actually won it, but the commercial still couldn't aired. tell you other than people say other than probably in at that time, having those done 30 days in advance and having people doing the same thing that they're doing, what are we going to do? I'm probably going to have bulldog win the title and producing that shit and doing that without going all the way up the chain and keeping it close to the vest. And sometimes keeping things close to the vest like that can come back and bite you in the butt. Let's talk about the matches here. We got Hunter Hearst Helmsley pinning dude love in 12 minutes and 51 seconds with the pedigree love had Helmsley pinned with a double arm DDT, but China put his foot on the ropes with love distracted by China. Helmsley used his move and got the win. This is the third time Foley and Hunter opened up a pay-per-view show. Every time they deliver Meltzer was pretty critical of the dude love character though. And even Foley himself has said, you know, after a few times of trying to get the fans to dance with it, he realized, oh, this is probably not going anywhere. Do you think dude love could have had a more substantial run or did you really get the most out of that character here in 97? I think that we could have gone back to dude love in different situations. I love dude love, but to me, I think that the intrigue, of Mick Foley was, you know, what character, who are you facing? Are you facing Mick Foley? Are you facing mankind? Are you facing Cactus Jack? Are you facing dude love? Which character are you going to manifest based on the story and based on where you are? Um, and I think that, you know, we would just go to dude love and, and leave it at dude love for a while. And then we'd go back to mankind and leave it at mankind for a while. And you have corporate mankind and, and what have you. I think that, and then just Mick Foley. And to me, Mick Foley was the least interesting of all the characters. But at the same time, the absolute most fascinating of all the characters, because of all those characters lived in the head of Mick Foley. Why did Hunter and, and Mick have so much chemistry together? Every now and again, you run across a pair of guys and it just clicks and it feels like they always did. Man, <laughs> tremendous chemistry. The, the matches, and it was, it was second nature to them. It was not a lot of, um, hey, we'll do this, we'll do that. It's like, okay, hey, got it. Let's just go out and make magic. And they did because it was a respect there between Mick and Hunter and man, 
you put them in any combination, holy shit, it just felt good. It really felt good in everything they did. Any character of Mick Foley and Mick Foley's head against Hunter was great. Next up, we've got Tiger Ali Singh accompanied by his father, Tiger Jeet Singh, and they're going to pin Leaf Cassidy in four minutes and six seconds with a bulldog off the top rope. Uh, Sonny is going to be our guest ring announcer for the match in 1997. She is over like Rover tiger. All Singh though, feels like one of those guys who you guys had big plans for. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't really work out, but he is well, called the bell up. rang Conrad. You know, he didn't get a ton of time on American TV and here he is on a UK only pay-per-view. What's the thinking there? Maybe it's a different audience and. There is, there is a, there's a very large Indian population in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So, you know, yes, by placing Tiger Ali Singh on there, hoping for him to draw that community, that was what we were looking for. But I don't think that, you know, it's interesting when people will say, oh, you know, Bulldog, got to have Bulldog, got to have a UK talent uh, in the UK. Or you go to Japan, you've got to have Japanese talent uh, on top in Japan. If you go to uh, Mexico, you got to have a Mexican talent on top, you know, draw. They want what they see on TV. They, they, they want what they see on TV in those stars, in that. They don't want you to manufacture a star just for them. That's my belief. And... You know, Tiger, look, in my opinion, from day one, there were high hopes for Tiger. God, he had a look. He had the size, well-spoken, well-educated. But he just didn't have it. And one of the, like, sweetest kids you'd ever want to meet, but, man, he, uh, he didn't have it. He did not have the charisma. He didn't have the feel. And I don't think this business was for him. As we've been recording as coincidentally, I can't make this up. I got an email from a fellow named PK and the subject of the email is tiger. Ali Singh. talk about timing. And he writes that he ran across an interview with tiger. Ali Singh, and Here's part of the email quote. The reason the WWF signed tiger Jeet Singh is because Rupert Murdoch, who owns star India gave an ultimatum that the WWF needed to sign someone that could be the Asian equivalent of Hulk Hogan that could appeal to Indians, middle Easterns, etc. And if the WWF didn't do that, then Murdoch would go with Turner or new Japan. I've never heard that. It sounds like made up BS as we continue though, this is all from the same email quote. Tiger Jeep made Vince McMahon come to his house for dinner to negotiate. And when Vince asked for the number, Tiger said, it's not my place to ask, but your place to tell us how much we are worth to you. And allegedly, and this can't be real. Tiger Ali wound up with a $2 million downside guarantee. This is all directly from an interview that Tiger did. And it all sounds like complete fabrication to me. What say you 100 complete false. Every bit of it. Now we did go, we did go to, uh, their house to meet with them and to bring the contract. Yes. 
Absolutely, we did. We did. We went to Toronto, and we had dinner at their house. Um, Vince got sick, and uh, I enjoyed the food. Uh, the food was absolutely amazing to me. But um, the rest of that is one hundred, the, the completely false. Tiger Ali came to us through Carl DeMarco. Okay. In Canada, and sent a tape to Vincent and myself, and we looked at the tape, and Carl was, I think he had met Tiger Jr., and was like, you know, hey, you guys should see this guy, he's a big kid, he's got a great look, very well spoken, and uh, I think we could do something with him, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh I think Carl said, he goes, the only downside is he's Tiger Jeet Singh's son. Because um, <laughs> Tiger had quite not the most savory reputation. But uh, they came into the office, and we met with them in the office, both of them, uh, the father and son. And in the middle of that meeting, um, Vince pitched Tiger Sr. as a, a consultant for the Middle East, for Pakistan, for India, um, in that meeting. So I still, I mean, I have the notes from that meeting. I know exactly what was offered. Right. And I can guarantee you if you were to if you were to add up everything, you wouldn't get to those figures. I don't know all the details, but I think he wound up somehow getting injured. And I think, uh, you know, part of his process with the WWE is you got to send him down the developmental and eventually even to Puerto Rico. And maybe as the, the rumor and innuendo goes is it was an outdoor show. It started to rain. So he stops the match and just goes back and starts to get dressed. The promoter comes and says, Hey, if you don't go finish the match, we're going to fire you or what have you. He goes back out to finish the match in the rain slips, allegedly hits his head. Uh, allegedly he's knocked unconscious when he comes to, he realizes something's not right. He flies home three months later, the company sends him termination papers and he believes quote, I was left to die in Puerto Rico. That's all allegedly. And then he files a lawsuit against the company for like 7 million bucks. Um, did anything go right at all with this tiger Ali seeing experience? It doesn't feel like it. It feels like this is the definition of snake bit. Yeah, it, it did not go as as we uh, had hoped. But I, I will say that, that the dinner at uh, his house in Toronto was one of the best meals I've ever had. Well, there you go. Yeah. Let's talk about his opponent, Leif Cassidy. We know that uh, this is going to be the last time we see him on WWF programming for a while. He's going to go learn a new hold in ECW. That's where he discovers how much he loves head. And uh, head gets over, as it usually does. And, uh, he actually main events, a, uh, a title match with Shane Douglas for the ECW title at WrestlePalooza in May of the following year. And once he gets some success going there, he's back on the WWF programming. So Al Snow, one of those guys who is maybe the, the epitome of persistence. No. Yeah. Al Snow's a hardworking son of a gun. I yeah. don't think that, I don't think that Al, you know, ever just stops moving forward. And, uh, you know, to his credit, man, Al is one of the hardest working people that I've ever had the pleasure of, of working with. 
Let's talk about the next match. We've got headbangers uh, retaining the WWF tag titles over Savio Vega and Miguel Perez in 1334. Uh, the headbangers had, uh, won the belts back at ground zero. Are we on the Allentown show or are we? <laughs> There's a reason it's all 20,000 boss. Uh, so the headbangers only hold the tag straps for about a month. It's essentially a short-term fix. Of course, Austin is one of the tag champs when he gets dropped on his head accidentally, of course, by Owen Hart. So as a result, he's got to forfeit these titles and the headbangers are going to go ahead and win in a four-way dance. Um, but yeah, Savio Vega and Miguel Perez against the headbangers, probably not the biggest match we put on across the pond. Next up the Patriot, uh, who said to have gotten the biggest heel reaction of anyone on the card. Of course, we're in the middle of this America versus the world tour, I guess is going to pin flash funk, the former two cold Scorpio with the uncle slam, which is uh, what he calls the full Nelson drop. And Meltzer would say the heat Patriot on the, uh, the Patriot got on this show is incredible. And really shows the strength of how the USA Canada feud has evolved where the UK fans are now despising anyone waving the American flag, which maybe in prior tours was not a big deal, but you got to know you're on to something when a guy like the Patriot can come in with very little backstory and ta-da, he's getting a big reaction here. Got a great reaction. And, and it, it's <laughs> flash. Oh, he's super funky. Oh, well. um, I love the flash funk and the flashadelics and that's all good shit. Um, Patriot. So this was the exception to the rule. And the only thing I will credit Meltzer on is, yeah, the, the strength of USA versus Canada that we were doing in the United States and in Canada the anti-U.S. sentiment and the anti-Canadian sentiment that to international audiences, it was, yeah, man, the U.S., which pretty much if you go anywhere else uh, other than the United States of America, I don't know that there's a lot of great U.S. sentiment anyway um, in most countries. But yeah, the Patriot all in the red, white, and blue, and they had heard him be booed on television. So it was like, yeah, screw him. If it had been Hacksaw Jim Duggan, they would have been chanting USA. Right. That's what the, the crazy part to me. And it was that was the strength of that US versus Canada stuff, which is pretty cool. Next up, we've got the Legion of Doom beating the Godwins in 10 minutes and 42 seconds. Hawk's going to pin Phineas after the Doomsday device. Fair to say, old Henry O is not going to take that move again. Uh, but Hey, you're giving them a, you know, a big star show here. You, you listen, we've, we sort of poked fun a little bit, but Hunter and dude love main eventers, hall of famers, Al snow is going to go on to be a main eventer the next year for another promotion. Uh, the headbangers and Savio Vega were more than capable. Maybe Miguel Perez never really got over here in America, but he was a hell of a talent. The Patriot, sort of the same thing. He's going to be in some title shots in this era. It was a short-lived run, but maybe that has more to do with his personal problems than his professional acumen. And I think everybody likes two cold Scorpio and the Legion of doom, man. Maybe we're a little bit of a late slip here, but they're still getting a huge reaction. Fans loved them. They remember them being a part of that SummerSlam 92 and they're excited to see him, see him beat up some hog farmers here. Absolutely. And you know, don't, don't discount the Godwins. The Godwins were two huge 
huge guys that were very, very believable in the Legion of Doom and Godwin's matches were extremely physical, to say the least. So the audience really got into that, and they gave them reason to stay tuned and have fun with that match. Let's talk about uh, what happens next on the show. They do an interview in the ring with Ken Shamrock, who's scheduled to face Owen Hart on the show. And Shamrock says he couldn't wrestle due to a punctured lung. He suffered at his match in Muncie with Farouk and Meltzer would say the actual problem was a lung infection, which caused bleeding from the mouth in both the Farouk match and the SummerSlam match against Bulldog. So it's a problem he's had for a while and not necessarily an in an in-ring injury. But the doctors are strongly recommending against him wrestling for one week until it's cleared up. And of course, then he's going to be wrestling on the FMW card at the Kawasaki baseball stadium show against uh, Vader. So he's still here, but not in action. Instead, rockabilly is going to come out and run down shamrock, slap him. Of course, shamrock jumps on him, puts him in the ankle lock submission. The officials break it up. So. Hey, listen, we advertise shamrock. We can't deliver him in a match, but we'll still give you a little feel good moment and a double dose of shamrock one way or another. Right. And it worked and they were happy and kept Ken, you know, without having to exert too much and go out and have a full match. Uh, let's talk about the next one here. Uh, Owen Hart is going to be in action here, taking on Vader and Vader gets a win in 12 minutes and 14 what? seconds, reversing a cross body block into a power slam for the pin. Meltzer said this was said to have been a good match and Owen was the total face to the live crowd in this match. And it feels a little weird that Owen's not getting his hand raised. It's not like you're going to do fuck all with Vader in 97. That ship has sailed a year prior, but still he gets a win over Owen Hart. A little weird. Not really. Uh, you know, again, Vader being Vader and your Vader is ostensibly replacing Ken Shamrock. So it was against Owen. Yeah. That's the reason you have Vader go over because it was a replacement. It made more sense. Next up a really good match. And I want you to go out of your way to watch this. This is actually a pretty good show. The crowd is really hot for it, but they're ready for this one. It's Bret Hart defending his WWF title against the undertaker. Bret's going to win by DQ at 28 minutes and 34 seconds, but they don't want to boo the undertaker. Meltzer would say this. Both men were cheered when they came out, but since crowds generally root for the challenger to win the title as the match progressed. The undertaker received a total face reaction while Hart was getting a 50, 50 reaction. Hart had done an interview earlier in the show, totally kissing up to the fans, trying to make himself the baby face since the match story was built around him as the face. The finish wound up with Hart having the ropes wrapped around his neck, choking him. And the undertaker kept punching him until he was finally disqualified. The undertaker's attack was vicious enough that it finally got the crowd to turn on him. And after the match. Undertaker choke slammed both referee Mike Kyoto and Gerald Briscoe just in time for his birthday, of course. Uh, still though, this is a really cool match and a little different than the one they had at SummerSlam. Obviously that one had Shawn Michaels as a special guest referee, but buddy, they hated Brett in New Jersey, but here more 50, 50, but they want the title to change hands because they love the undertaker. They grew up with the undertaker and they want to see something cool, but in the end, Undertaker finally gets them to go the other way and they're cheering for Brett, but this is a really underrated match, especially for a DQ finish. I liked it. Let's say you, yeah, it was a great match, but it was just so hard. You got two of your most popular attractions going against each other and 
you're in unfamiliar territory, you're international, where they're so happy to see both these guys, and neither really was positioned as the true heel. Eh, Undertaker more so than Brett, but Undertaker's Undertaker. So they were happy as shit to see him. Uh, it was great storytelling, and what I was going to say is that no matter what, you know, is Brett being 50-50 and all this other shit, Brett and Undertaker both are the kind of guys. They're not going to leave that ring and that match until they've got that crowd. No matter what they had to do, they were going to get that crowd, and they did. And a lot of guys have just gone through and done their stuff and, and not put in, I think, the extra effort and could have had the same match and not gotten – the reaction at the end that we were looking for. And these two professionals were able to go out, turn it and make it happen. Really a great, great match. Go out of your way to see it. It's almost a forgotten match. Nobody really talks about this one, but I want to recommend you check it out. And now it's time for our main event and buddy, this was something else. They go 22 minutes and 53 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say, even though Bulldog got a huge face reaction, the Shawn Michaels reaction was still 50, 50. Now, obviously we know they're going to cheer for their favorite, but they're cheering for Bret Hart and they're cheering for the undertaker and they're cheering for Shawn Michaels. If for no other reason, just because these are big stars, right? They're, they're big cheering stars. for the superstars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the match itself is a good match. Meltzer would say this Rick Rude, Helmsley and China all interfered freely during the match. The key spot was Smith attempting to deliver his running power slam while on the ringside floor, which was actually elevated on a platform. He stepped off the platform and quote unquote, accidentally blew out his bad knee. Michaels began working on the leg, including removing the knee brace. He used the figure four with Helmsley and Rude holding his arms to add leverage when referee Earl Hebner ruled him unable to continue. They did the same gimmick, which got Austin over so big as a face where they're pushing that bulldog never submitted in the match. And after the match, Michaels put the figure four on again until Diana hit the ring. China went after, which brought Brett and Owen out to clear the ring. And by this point, the crowd was in a near riot pitch, throwing bottles and cans all over the building and the ring filled with debris. But the situation was said to have become quite dangerous. You were there. What'd you think of the reaction to this crazy crowd when they didn't get their way? Well, I'm never a fan of people throwing things into the ring as I've stated a bazillion times. Uh, not cool, man. That, that part is not cool. I don't think that you should throw things cause you never know where that debris is going to go. The heat though is what we were looking for. I mean, it, it was, people were pissed. They fully expected Davey to win and we took it away from them. And it was a moment for Sean to savor in and give bulldog that sympathy to where that tough son of a bitch hung in there. He never gave up. He never quit. But now Sean's got that championship that everyone felt that should have gone to bulldog. Sean wrote this in his book. I told the creative team, if you want me to get some heat, have me screw him for the title in his hometown. And they love the idea. Davy boy was so over in England. He never lost there. screwing him out of the title in front of his hometown fans was a good business decision because I would generate a ton of heat. Davey never once expressed to us that he was upset with our plans. 
but he wasn't the kind of guy who would say anything to your face. He would do it in the back. He wasn't mean. That's just the way he was brought up in the business. You bury guys behind their back. It's my understanding that Brett really got him wound up about losing in his hometown. For Brett, the important thing was not about what was right for business, but looking like the good guy in the eyes of the wrestling industry. I had Hunter China and Rick rude, who was with us for a brief time, assist me in applying a figure four on Davey and the referee stopped the bout. The crowd went nuts. They were throwing beer, food, just about anything they could get their hands on at us. It was honest, real heat in Birmingham. Even though I'd already been the world wrestling federation champion, I had no problem becoming the European champ. I didn't look at it as a step down on the contrary. I felt I could make something of the title. Before the show, we were discussing what was going to happen with the agents and producers at the day's production meeting. And someone spoke up and said, if we do this, Sean, wouldn't you be the first person to have held every belt here? That's right. Vince said, we need to have a name for that. That's monumental. That's huge. The show's director, Kerwin Silphy suggested grand slam. Sounds good. Vince replied. And that's how I became the first ever grand slam champion. So shout out to Kerwin Silphy's for the name grand slam. And I just want your feedback or your response to Sean saying maybe it was his idea. It probably was his idea for the heat. Absolutely. And Sean was probably the first one that that brought it to us and said that, because again, as you're going into it, you're debating both sides of the coin at every turn, you know, work for bulldog goers, work for Sean. I think everyone felt that Sean having the title is more heat for Sean and just a better story. And then Sean endorsing it and coming in. And I, and I will say this, you know, about um, everybody else, like I said earlier, that, you know, Sean petitioned and politic for the title. He really didn't. And I uh, said, so it was probably more on the other side. And that was kind of the case. I think that it was, it was more Brett Owen and everybody else kind of talking to whoever they could talk to and say, ah, doesn't it make more sense for Davey? You know, we're in his home country. He should win and, and so on and so forth. Um, I heard more of that, put it that way, than I did of anything of Sean because we had, we came in with our mind made up that Sean was coming out as champion. Man, what a show. I... Um... It was one night only, Conrad. <laughs> it was indeed. I can't help but wonder, you know, realistically, with the benefit of hindsight, if you had this to do over again, would you have done anything differently? I only bring that up because, man, just laying it out and saying, well, we're going to come back in the spring and have Davey win it. By the spring, neither Bulldog nor Sean are even in the company. They're gone. If you knew that you couldn't come back like that, would you have done something differently or no? I don't think so. I don't think so because it was the, uh, again, I like, I like the heat of it. So you're asking me what I have. I definitely wouldn't have. Well, here's what I mean. I mean, when other territories did something similar to this and there was no plan necessarily to come back, people would say things like, oh, they killed the town. They had a chance to do what was best for business and they killed the town. Now, when you understand, okay, well, we're coming back in the spring and here's what we're going to do, but then it doesn't happen. How do you not 
accidentally quote unquote kill the town. I don't think we did kill the town though. How does one kill? I don't think that kills the town. I think that shitty finishes and going in and not delivering kills the town. I don't think we did that. We delivered. Do you remember a time in company history where the, the company killed the town? Oh God. I think that we killed a lot of towns back in the day when we did, uh, those monster tapings and we do three to five hours of, uh, taping TV all night long. And you would have, uh, just match after match, after match, after match, after match, after match, just squash matches for television. And you waited until 1230 at night, you know, to see Hulk Hogan versus killer Khan or something like that. And those, I think that there were a few that, we would look at and go, okay, we can't come back here for at least a year because we would wear them out with just so much an overload of product that is like, ah, man, you know, I saw everything. I saw everything twice. I saw everything three times. Like, yeah, boy. And then you have to wait till the very end for your advertised main event. And it's, um, it's tough. No doubt. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about something that's a little easier. I can't believe we're doing this, but we're going back 35 years to Hershey park arena in Hershey PA September 23rd, 1987 is when it was taped, but we all saw it on NBC on October 3rd, when it got a 9.7 rating. That's right. A 9.7 rating, an unbelievable program. Uh, Randy Savage is going to have Miss Elizabeth with him when he defeats the intercontinental champion hockey talk man by DQ because Bret Hart's going to come in and break the cover after Savage has hit the flying elbow smash. And wouldn't you know it, somebody's going to get cracked over the head with a guitar. Uh, the world champion Hulk Hogan is going to be in here with, uh, Sika who is going to be substituting for Kamala. He's going to have Mr. Fuji and Kim Chi with him. Uh, King Kong Bundy will be in action, taking on Paul Orndorff. And then we've got the Hart Foundation, the tag champs, Brett and Jim Neidhart, taking on Paul Roma and Jim Powers. This is going to be a uh, a fun show, man. We've talked about going back and, and taking a look at some of these old Saturday night's main events, and we're going to do one from 1987. This would have been one of your first Saturday night's main events, right? It was definitely my first Saturday night main event in Hershey, and I remember it well. You know, they had um, chocolate omelets at the Hershey Hotel. I've never even heard of that. I had never heard of it either. I thought that I was uh, being ribbed. And they had uh, the omelet bar there in the little restaurant. You know, the guy sits there and makes the omelets and all this stuff. Yeah. And he would do like an omelet and put a Hershey bar in it at the end and close up the omelet. And the Hershey bar would melt inside of the egg, inside the omelet. So when you would bite into it, like the chocolate would be gooey and it wasn't bad. Do you think your first ever Saturday night's main event was in South Bend, Indiana taped on April 28th, 1987. It aired on May 2nd. Does that sound right? It would have been savage, savage and George Steele in a lumberjack match, Kamala and Jake Roberts. 
Davy boy working with dynamite kid to take on Brett and Jim, the heart foundation versus the bulldogs. I'll go back and you know what? Ask me that next week. I'll go back and look it up in my, uh, calendar. Cause I know I the timing that. of it is you come into the company at the very beginning of April, 1987. Right. So at the end of the month, I wasn't sure if you were on the road or not, but I felt like you probably were by September. So we picked this. Well, one. I know I, I definitely remember Hershey big time. Well, Hershey's going to be fun. We're going to talk about that next week. If not the very first one of the very first, uh, Saturday night's main events that Bruce would attend. And man, that what an iconic angle it was with the honky tonk man and uh, Randy Savage and what could have been lots of rumor and innuendo about what was the plan, what was supposed to happen, what might've happened and what actually happened. And we'll talk about that next week here on the program, but Bruce, I appreciate you making time to jump on with us today, man. This was fun. felt like old times. That's cause I'm old. Well, I am too. Uh, after we get through with uh, Saturday night's main event, what you've requested and you actually wrote it on our calendar, October 7th, we hope to do a show that Bruce calls, ask me questions and shit. <laughs> so stay, stay tuned for that. Okay. Well, let's try and do them all on, on the same. We'll do two in one day next week. How's that? I, or, you or and I will do two in one day this weekend, but so get your questions in early is I, my point. I'm with it. We'll get your questions in early. Saturday night's main event and ask me questions and shit coming to you yeah. sooner rather than later. Right here. That's one of my favorite. That, that is my favorite one. Ask me questions and shit. What? I always say, are we doing the one where it's ask me questions and shit? And you say, no, cause we got to do And I'm like, but I'd like to ask me questions and shit. Okay. I'm for it. You ain't got to get hot about it. I'm half hot. Well, we'll be back next week and hopefully the week after and the week after and the week after and forever and ever right here on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Rock on. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.